Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Mike Jett. Mike Jett, you are not my wife, Lisa. No. No, you are not. Just as pretty, though. Not true, either. <laughs> um, if you are confused turning on this podcast, we are doing our first ever collaboration episode. Whoa. Where I Married a History Teacher is collabing with Mike Jett. Tell the name of your pod. Uh, it's called the Egg Hard Podcast. Right, and we've talked about it before in our pods, if you're a regular listener. But, Lisa's not here. We had to take a break from our regular podcast because a certain natural disaster happened, which led to her certain organization sending her to that certain place to uh, help people out. So she's gone, but we have Mike Jett here visiting our beautiful studio in Baltimore um, to do a collab post with us. Indeed. I'm bummed I'm not going to see her. But that's okay. Yeah, it is. It is kind of lame timing. I'm personally am kind of happy with the timing because I'm a chit chatter. You know, I like talking, so I don't do too well when Lisa's gone. Mm -hmm. So now you're here for you're like you know three days. Yeah, appreciate that. You know, appreciate you coming out. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so it works well. Um, for my listeners that don't listen to the Ag Hard podcast, do you want to give them a quick rundown on what you do? Sure. So. First off, you're probably like, what the hell does egg hard mean? <laughs> yeah, probably. That's kind of a long story. Not really. But uh, so when we were in college, we started, we had a lot of certain phrases and abbreviations, aka abbreviations, that we would use. Um, and we started abbreviating agree and disagree. And we would say egg and disag. And because it's really way, agreed. Then you would say, I egg hard, because that's way cooler than saying, I agree with that sentence Thoroughly. you just said, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. I egg way cooler. Yeah. Um, and it also fits because I, my co-host on the Egg Hard Pod, his name is Austin. My last name is Jet with a G, A-G, egg, egg hard podcast. Thanks. Yeah. It's about sports. We talk about sports a lot, so immediately none of you are going to listen, maybe. <laughs> so we have... A sports pod and history pod coming together. So we're going to get an episode on sports history coming at you. All right. It is, you know, one member from one band and another member from another band. We're a super band. It is me and Mike Jet. We're basically like the traveling Wilburys of podcasting at this point. Uh, Mike Jet, you know who the traveling Wilburys are? Yeah. Name the members of traveling Wilburys. Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, George Harrison. Shit, I'm forgetting the fourth member. But you get the idea at this point. We're a super band now. Okay, cool. Sorry, Thanks. Lisa. I don't mean She's to, not in the super band? I don't mean to I don't mean to insult her or anything like that, you know. It's just more you us two, me and you are the leaders and Austin and Lisa are in the backseat. Yeah, they're they're kinda like the the wise quip people. Yeah, they're like that fifth member you can't name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but anyway, it's actually going to be interesting because Mike Jett's going to take the lead. He's going to tell me a sports story that I know very little about. And then I'm going to try to fill in making the smart-ass remarks that Lisa usually does. Oh, okay. So we'll see how this goes, basically. Yeah, special bonus episode for you all. So, yeah. So hopefully we have some fun. Steve, ask a lot of questions. I will. 
I will. Um, I'm going to have plenty. It was very difficult for me to... Well, actually, okay. I had a, a topic, a general topic, I that first popped in my head that I wanted to do, and it's the one we're doing today. Good. And then the more I read items and articles about it and watched uh, certain documentaries or whatnot, um, there's way... There's just so much more to just the overall individual that we're mainly going to talk about uh, today. So um, we're going to start on the specific story that everybody probably initially thinks about, um, about this guy, uh, and then we're probably going to expand upon into his early and late life and everything else what's, that he did during his professional and non-professional career. We'll see how that goes. All right. So ask lots of questions. Looking forward to it. Okay. So we're going to go, the, the main gist again that, the main gist of the story uh, is on June 12th, 1970. Do you know what happened on the day? I mean, based on your shirt, I could tell you what happened on that day. What shirt am I wearing? Are you going to go start with the shirt? Yeah, I'm going to start the shirt. I'm going to drop his name. Will I ruin your story? Which, which name are you going to drop? Because the name that the person I'm talking about is not the one who wore this. Oh, is it just the other guy in the picture? He's yeah, he's not even in the pic. This is just a... It's The, just the relation is the pirates. That's a pirate shirt. No, it's the... I mean, it is because Dave Parker wore it in 1976. Oh. So Jed is wearing a shirt that says, if you hear any noise, it's just me and the boys bopping. And it was like famous for the really cool looking shirt, or sorry, picture with this guy wearing the shirt with like a smooth hat on. And I've always thought it was the greatest shirt ever, but I never purchased the shirt. I own it. Yeah, well, I see that now. I didn't know that pasty white boys like ourselves were allowed to wear that shirt. Well, wore, you you don't it. give a shit. You're just throwing no. it on. By I the way, we in, are allowed to cuss in this Okay, podcast. good. I wore it in public, too. At, uh, I went to a microbrew festival outdoors. In, I went to one this year, the same one, but last year is when I wore it in 2018 with Jonathan Bazilla. Mm. And this is what I wore. Um, and I definitely had people looking at me. I don't know how many people knew what it meant or what it was about. Uh, nobody came up to me and like, asked me about it. Or... Actually, maybe one person did. I don't think they actually knew what it was, though. When we go out, they're just like nice shirt. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna wear this tonight. No, you are. You are. You can't show me that you have this shirt and not wear it out in Baltimore when we go out. Okay. I mean, if I had one myself, we might be matching going out. Okay, that would be interesting. But sure. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. So, but since you started, Dave Parker is the one who wore this shirt. It was in 1976. The gentleman that the story is about that we're gonna focus on this evening was not on the Pirates that year. Uh, he was already uh, he was not on the team at that point. Okay. So, but so June twelfth, nineteen seventy, is the day that Doc Ellis supposedly threw a no hitter on LSD. Yeah. Love this story. Okay. I'm glad we're doing this. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, I'll just start with the general. I'll start with the background. You can ask questions as we go. Um. So. It was at San Diego. They fly into San Diego on their off day, early. Doc asks the manager if he can drive up to, or go up to L.A. because that's where he's from. He's from L.A. And because they usually, if they're that close to home, what Doc said was that they would usually let the players go go home on their off day if they were that close. So he went up to L.A. Gets, but when they land in, in San Diego, before he even starts driving to, to, to L.A., he pops in. Some well, LSD. Well, LSD. Yeah, yeah. You know, it takes a little while to kick in. You yeah, know? you know, <laughs> you don't want to waste time when you so get he, home. He pops it in in the airport before he gets in the vehicle, and then drives up to, to L.A. So then he gets up to, his, you know, he's with some boys. He's at one of their 
his boy's like girlfriend's place. Um, does some more LSD. Uh, passes out um, for a little bit, which he assumes is a very short amount of time. Gets up, does some more LSD, and then all of a sudden the girlfriend's like, "Hey, hey, dog, you better get going." And he's like, "Why?" I don't pit. I don't, he's like, "You're pitching today." He's like, "Oh, I'm pitching tomorrow." Uh, <laughs> and she's like, "No, it's Friday, bro. Um, you pitch at six o'clock." And so he immediately, basically, what he he got uh, um, on a plane from LA to San Diego. Uh, gets to San Diego about uh, four, then gets to the he doesn't get to stay until four thirty. Game starts at six. They're playing a twilight doubleheader or something that doesn't happen too often nowadays. They're like two two night games, like which does not happen often, obviously. Um, and he still starts. Uh, Can I ask you a quick question? Yes. To interrupt here. Yes. Is Doc Ellis at this point, is he a good pitcher or is he just one of your regular guys? Is he like a solid, like everyone knows who he is or he's just like one of your, like your fourth or fifth pitcher in the rotation type? So no, he, he was, he was good. So this year, this was his, um, this was his third year in the league, uh, in the majors at least. Um, and at this point he's 25 years old. Um, and his final stats for this year, this was probably the first year that he had, like, a, a very good year. I mean, all things considered. He had – his rookie year, his ERA was actually below three. Um, but he was partially p- pitching out of the bullpen and only started ten games. Um, and then his second year, his ERA was, you know, three and a half or close to four. But at that point, again, that's not that great of an ERA back then. There were, there were very low-scoring games in this time this time of baseball. For my uh, history uh, nerd listeners, I have to say, and for a couple international listeners, generally speaking, if you have an ERA below three, you're a very good pitcher. But it sounds like back in the day, in the 70s, you want even lower than three. Well, definitely. If you're in, like, the low threes, I think you're still still good. But I think now that probably would more, like, if you're, like, high threes, at least with this year. Like, it's, like, with how many runs and home runs, especially this 2019 season, have occurred. Um it was just a different game back then. Sure. Uh, so his, I mean, his ERA for this season was three point two one, and then he made the All Star team in seventy one the year after this. Oh, okay. We'll All right. So he's a solid it. pitcher. Yeah, okay. I mean, he's he's good. Yeah. Um. So he he, <laughs> when he gets uh again when he gets to the stadium he pops basically a lot of uh, of uppers he what they would call greenies and it was basically decimal. Okay. Um, so he popped a lot of those um, before he went out to, to start pitching. Um, so then the game itself, uh, <laughs> he gets through the first inning without giving up a run or a hit. Sure. Um, they, they have a rookie on the team called – his name was Dave Cash. And because at this point he even said in some of the, the, the documentaries or whatnot that you can watch on there, out there about Doc personally or the event um, – he basically said that that they knew they knew I was high. They didn't know what I was high on when I was out there. Um, so after the first thing, Dave Cash was like, "Which and we'll get into more of that." Um, was like, "Hey, you got no no going." <laughs> and obviously, that was something that it was a a, a no no in and of itself to say, but it was like a joke because again, Dave knew that he was high. Yeah. So he's like, right. "Hey, you got no no going after the first inning." Um, so, so he's just like messing with him, trying to like yeah. get his head. Yeah. Did did anyone mention like leading up to this that you know of at least? Is there like 
maybe he shouldn't be pitching? Like, did he say anything? Or he's just like... No, he didn't. And this is, it, this is where it. we're going to we're gonna dive all over the place. Okay. Because, and we can, I'll say two things real quick, and then we, we can go more in depth if we want. One, Doc Ellis has said he basically never pitched a game sober. Ah, uh, okay. All right. And that's, I'm talking like whether it was... Um, Box alcohol, red amphetamines, wine. yeah, box red wine, for <laughs> like marijuana, uh, cocaine, mm. um, 60s and 70s, man. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's not the only one on. I mean, this was back in the day. There's like they, they play a lot more afternoon games back then. And I mean, then they would, would now, now, not like at the time, but now the, those old timers, they talk about how, I mean, they were openly like hungover many of the time, if not mm-hmm. playing those games in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it is a lot of games at a baseball season, oh yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Who can stay sober for that long anyway? Yeah, yeah. right? Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then, yeah, so that delves into the, yeah, like you said, the 70s in general. Like, he's not the only one also that's doing this either. Yeah. I mean, this it might be an extreme case, obviously. Sure. With LSD and him doing it literally six hours before he pitched because he unknowingly thought it was the day before. Um, and he still had a whole day to come down. Right. Uh, so... So yeah, so no, that was not it was not mentioned. Yes. Uh, okay. Because it didn't wasn't it wasn't deemed necessary. Yeah. Um so and to talk more about that, he basically uh, we'll talk about Doc. He basically he found it easier to pitch when he was on uh some some drug. Yeah, well, I mean, if that's your normalcy. Correct. I kind of get it. Yes. So I mean, he was I mean, a few comments on that. I mean, he it was yeah. So he found it easier to pitch, whether it was to to be more relaxed or to get and then to get more hype um, and have no fear type deal. Sure. Um, like he he did a thing where he actually said he would sometimes he would take up to fifteen to seventeen pills uh, the day of. Um, then what he termed as to out milligram the, the opponents. <laughs> yeah, that's unreal. Yeah. Um, and then, because even then, I mean, this was a, a the term again used across the league, where very, I don't know, very, more probably more than I'm leading on because it, it was prevalent, but it wasn't like ugh, like everyone doing it. But like p- playing naked was like if you played without like assistance. Oh, so they're like a phrase for it. Yeah, if you were playing Play. without it. Yeah, yeah. It's called playing naked. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, there was there were people in the the, the documentary when I'm, I'm referencing a lot is called No No a Doc D O C K. Yeah. Um, and there were guys in there that did say that at this time uh, in the in baseball that probably like they said they literally said that probably ninety percent of the time the like ninety percent of the time ninety percent of the guys in the league were high when they played. That is pretty unbelievable. Or, or like on something, yeah. which seems very high, obviously. But these are guys that played in the league at this time. Yeah, again, it's the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. man. That's that's what was going down. Yeah. So, because this this info or knowledge of Doc throwing this game, this no hitter on LSD, did not come out till '84, when Bob Smizik, who who still writes for a Pittsburgh newspaper, um, hmm. at the time, came, like basically broke the news um, from an inside source. But anyway, and then like so, then it came, was out in the open, and then Doc's talked about it, obviously, yeah. uh, here and there, um, before he he passed away, which we'll get to, but um. But yeah, so uh, there's a funny little, um, 
I want to say it's probably five minutes, five to seven minutes. I'll probably, I, w- I wasn't allowing Steve to, wa- to watch anything. I told him that this was a topic a few days ago, but I'm like, mm-hmm. but obviously he wasn't going to pre-prep himself. So he's not learning about this, but there's a really cool five, seven minute video on YouTube. Um, that's basically, uh, kind of like animation, animated cartoonish. And it's got a lot of Doc Ellis uh, voiceover up top. That's from like an NPR interview. Um, and he mentions in it during the fourth inning, well, okay, a couple of things. He was so high that he basically all he could tell was that if the batter was a righty or lefty, that's it. He couldn't tell anything else really. He just knew if they were on the right side or left side of the plate. Um, he had the catcher tape their, his fingers up with like easily visible like reflective tape, instead so of he just could see barehanded. It. Yeah, like, so he and some catchers do this now anyways. Pitches, right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. some catchers do this already with like white tape or not, but he like it was super reflective tape, so he could see it because okay. he was could not see you know super well at this sure, point in time. Sure. Um, but at one point in the fourth inning, he mentions in that the video I was talking about that he he was under the impression that Richard Nixon was the home plate umpire. <laughs> it's good present at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So and then he mentions too at one point that he, that he thought like that he had that he thought he was at one point facing that Jimi Hendrix was up the, the bat at one point too. Nice. Okay. Right. Um, so that was the look back then. I mean, maybe there was a dude who looked a lot like <laughs> Jimi Hendrix. So, and, but, um, another phrase, the other phrase that, that doc uses a lot to describe how he felt that day was that he was higher than a Georgia pine. <laughs> I'm surprised that California boy knows that phrase. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyways, so, I mean, nothing too. I mean, he so he throws no hitter. So he only he walks eight guys though in this game. Okay, so there are people getting on base. There are people. There are a lot of people getting on base because yeah, he yeah, yeah. is not. It's not like he's uh, hitting the spots, so to speak. Sure. Yes. Um, walks eight. He hits a batter as well. Um, basically, the only the only they they mentioned basically one hit that was very that could have been. Basically, one hit of the game. That was a, a line drive towards Bill Mazeroski. He's a Hall of Famer. Who I assume he was a second baseman, so I assume he was playing second base f- during this game. Um, and then that he made like a diving play um, to basically keep the no hitter alive. Um, and Always need a little luck, even when you're on. Oh yeah, state. oh yeah. Um, but uh, it was obviously one. There's been no hitters that have been Edwin Jackson threw no hitter in the last ten years, so that he walked a crap load of people as well. Um, I'm trying to pull up the box score real quick. I actually didn't look at it. I'm trying to pick it. I want to see if it lists how many pitches he threw because I'm going to assume it's going to be a very high number because he only struck, he struck out six, which it's not like pitchers were striking out a, a, a ton back in the day. So six is probably a solid number. That sounds um, very small for a no hitter. Uh, maybe, six but because you also need though, because you mentioned luck. Uh, I mean, the more strikeouts you throw Theoretically, and more than likely, the more pitches you're going to throw, which is a problem if you want to throw a no-hitter, too. Sure. Um, so it might, it's partially a good thing as well that he's only maybe only struck out six. Okay. Um, Let's see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, what other questions do you have? I want to try and find this real quick. About him. I mean, because so uh, – Do you know anything about the Padres at the time? Yeah, the Padres were not good that year. They were bad. Yes. Team. Okay. All right. I meant to bring that up. Yeah, thank you. Um, they were not a good team. They lost. Uh, they lost ninety games that year, um, at least. So they were not. They were not good. Uh, While you're looking that up, do you uh, do you need any more boxed red wine? 
I'm gonna, not. I'm going to get a quick refill. Okay, I found the box score. All right. The game by the bite. So the game time, this is another thing with with baseball nowadays. So they, I mean, this was no hitter, so it probably was going to take long. It wasn't going to take long anyways, but it was a, it was a two-hour, 13-minute game. This is also why they were probably able to play twinite double headers that didn't start till six local because the game's only taking two and a half hours max probably, okay. and then they I assume start super quick. Um, so yeah, he faced thirty six batters because he walked eight and then hit one. Um, damn it, it's not. I'm on Baseball Reference. It's not list how many pitches he threw. Well, I mean, it's got to be pretty safe to assume it wasn't too high. I mean, it sounds like he was. They were making contact, and his his fielders were. Yeah, so the Pirates won two nothing. Both runs were scored off Willie Sturgill solo home runs. Okay. Um, Willie was another Hall of Famer. I mean, the Pirates at that time were were a loaded baseball team. Um, And something else. I mean, this is what so because this is why I said we're going to delve into Doc himself, anyways, because he's, in my opinion, after, and I knew some of this already, but learned way more researching it was when you if you when you think of Doc Ellis this honestly should not be the first thing you think about and I mean how can is. you not I mean because the guy more, threw a no all, there's hitter on ass one, there's people that's unbelievable that, for one there's people that don't that think he's just fibbing that he's oh like they're just like he think that like he's bullshit yeah I don't know and and part I mean and, and then put secondly too I mean with how much he talks about how he literally like there's one when I talked about him like always pitching under the influence like he tried to warm up in the bullpen before a game without being on drugs and he mm-hmm. he's like I didn't even I didn't know how to pitch he's like I didn't know nothing felt right so he literally went into the, the locker room and popped some Dexamil before he went to pitch yeah I don't know so then it's like well then so then some people are like so I mean he was high all the time so what's the big deal anyways. Okay, there's a big difference between being high on pot and being high, like tripping balls on LSD. I mean, that that I, I imagine that there's still in sports a good amount of athletes that like will smoke some pot and go play sports. Oh, sure. But none of them are are dropping acid and then going to play sports. Zero percent, I'm sure, is the 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 total number of athletes still doing. Probably, probably it's probably low. Yeah. Um. But uh, the reason I say that is because he, I mean, he was known as. Yeah, let's get it. Let's get into Doc. He let's, was known let's, let's, as. Um, let's get into him. Like the Muhammad Ali of, of baseball. Like time. he was a draft dodger. He was cocky. All of the above. Cocky's part. I mean, he he had a mouth on okay. him, uh, and he was also he wasn't afraid uh, to speak his mind. Okay. So then he also then because obviously at the time were, they're still kind of going through. I mean, it's still early-ish with with you know minority baseball players playing. Sure. Um, and he's they're still dealing with that, and he's he's not he's voicing his opinion a lot of the time. Like he 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 wore curlers, uh, at one point like at a game basically warming up, and like baseball like had a fucking heart attack. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, he's like, "Why? This is what I do. It's what like it's what like this are because I'm a black person. I mean, there's like, well, you know, baseball has always had that. Like non-spoken rules tradition that I think is so funny, and mm-hmm. like they just have probably always been, you know, clean-cut, good old all-American white boys. So seeing a brother like showing up and you know curling his hair into a jerry curl probably threw the world into a, you know, 
just a, a craze. Yeah, I but see yeah, it happening. Super, um, super, like, yeah, anti-management. Uh, did not, yeah. I mean, you have to be pretty anti-management to show up to a game on LSD <laughs> and not tell the management. Um, but there's because at one point he had his hair braided. They came up, they had, they came up and asked him about about his hair, and he's like, "Don't ask me about my hair. Get the fuck out of my face." That's literally what he said to him. <laughs> It's uh, pretty funny. So He's and then intense. yeah, and then at the, I mean it's, again, 70, So he was one of those, especially the pirates as a as a team at this point too, were like the like flashy clothes, cars. Um, he was. Some people think he was the first player to wear like an earring, like uh, at a, like during games. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I mean, the, like again, the pirates themselves in 1971, the pirates were the first team ever to start nine minority players in a game. It's like. Nine, all nine guys that started the game, were, yeah, where okay. none of them were white. When when did uh, Robinson break the color barrier? Forty two. That was forty two. So all right, I could see that happening. That's a slow. Because I think by like, I don't even think the Washington Redskins had uh, had brothers playing for them at that point, have they? Because wasn't the Washington Redskins the last team to to allow colored players on their? Yeah, side? it was forty seven. The first game he started, so I think that's when he broke it. I always yeah. think 42 just because that's the number he wore. He wore. But yeah, uh, so it's just five okay. years later. Yeah. yeah, sure. Okay. All right, so it's still a slow transition. Yeah. 60s and 70s, is interesting time. Everyone was super liberal hippie, but there's still a lot of weird racism going on. Indeed. So I mentioned how 1971 he was an all-star. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, had a very, he had a very good first half of the year. Um, so, and then... So I forget where the All-Star Game was that year, but the, the AL had Vida Blue, who was having a disgusting year as an African-American pitcher on the Oakland A's, and he was definitely going to be the starting pitcher. Okay. Um, and uh, His name is Vida Blue? Vida Blue. That's, that's epic. It's awesome. It's a hell of a name. Um, and, then, and then, like I said, so Doc had a very good year, and he basically flat out said, he's like, there's no way they're, that I'm going to start the All-Star Game because there's no way they're gonna, they would start that they would start two brothers uh, at the same time at the All-Star game. Mm-hmm. He's like, he said it to the media. Um, and then, so I'm trying to be like, Tom Seaver was it was at the All-Star game. There were a couple other white pitchers. Uh, but they, he ended up they ended up starting Doc Ellis. So it's the first time two you black know, pitchers started in the All-Star game. Do you know anything about how the general public felt about him? Or I guess, I guess you're, if you're comparing him to Muhammad Ali, I guess he's really polarizing. Correct. Like there was probably still plenty of white folk out there that thought he was awesome and ballsy for saying all this stuff and appreciated it. But like, was he as like, like just a bunch of old dudes like grumbling about how he's not respectful and shit like that? Well, they probably, I mean, the, the old guys for sure. But I mean, they, when he did the hair color thing, they tried to suspend him for suspend a while. Suspend him for putting hair curl? Well, to be like, cause he, well, cause he, yeah, just cause he, not cause him doing it initially, but then the fact that he just wouldn't, uh, like, put him away or, or whatnot. Um, and then, it basically, the suspension just fizzled away. He, he just didn't yeah. not show up, and then he basically was not suspended. Um, and then there were other times he was suspended for, for, for stuff. Like, in 75, he, they, he, they wanted to move him to the bullpen instead of being a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and he refused. He literally refused to go to the bullpen. How does uh, that work? It sounds like when someone like, not... tries to break up with you, and you're like, "No, I'm sorry, we're not breaking up." 
Uh, yeah, I assume I don't have specific details, but I assume he's like, no, I'm not gonna go out there and send the bullpen. He was trying to beat in the dugout, and they're like, we're spending, suspending him for like two games. So then after that, he was supposedly gonna come in and apologize uh, to like the team and the manager. Um, instead, when they gave him the floor in the locker room, he literally berated the manager Murtaugh, who responded by cursing at Doc Ellis, ordering the pitcher out of the clubhouse, and they attempted to fight each other. Uh, so then he got suspended for 30 days and they fined him like some money. Sure. I think, you know, say what you want, but I think he probably deserved to get suspended for fighting the manager. Yeah. And it, well, I, it sounds like the manager almost initiated the fighting part of it just because he was so pissed that yeah. Doc Ellis was screaming sure. at him in sure. front of the entire team. Yeah. So it's a sign of disrespect, so yeah. to speak. But to go back to, you're saying like, how people felt like there was an article in the, the, the one of the Pittsburgh papers in 71 that's the title of the article was that Ellis is probably the most unpopular bucko of all time. Oh, uh, wow. We should also, a bucko is a nickname for a Pittsburgh pirate. Yeah. That's super. Uh, people get confused. Yeah. The bucks, the buckos. Yeah. That's the pirates. And people, I've had people text me about that. It is a little silly that there's another professional, uh, sports franchise called the Buccaneers, and people say "Go Bucks," and they're referring to the Pittsburgh. The Pirates Bucks. hashtag yeah. is literally hashtag Let's Go Bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, uh, like also just to topple on here is you have the Ohio State Buckeyes, but the Wisconsin mascot is named Bucky. Tell me why the Wisconsin Badgers mascot's named Bucky when the team they hate the most is the Buckeyes. Oh, this stuff question. is silly. There's yeah. too much Bucks. Let's move away from Bucks. Okay. Let's move away from the colors red and white as your team colors. Too much of that. There's going a lot. On. Scarlet and gray, though, is Ohio State. Yeah, but there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of thin lines. Yeah. Um, so to go back to the – I don't think he was suspended for this, but another th- event that occurred – so to go back to the seventy one World Series or the seventy one All Star Game, um, Reggie Jackson, who's on the A's at the time, hit an absolute bomb of a home run off of Doc Ellis in that game. Like crushed. Like Reggie Jackson, like stared at it, took a couple steps very slowly and walked. Which is, I mean, this is and Doc Ellis talks about this too a lot. How it's a different game now. Like he would his his whole thing when he pitched is like it's about intimidation and he. You would use, like, that's what Sandy Koufax would talk about. It's like, it's the art of intimidation. That's what you're doing when you're pitching. Um, so, I mean, he'd throw inside all, all the time. Like, and now you can do that, but now all of a sudden you start doing it too much, then you all of a sudden you're dirty team. Um, and obviously they also, I don't, they weren't throwing consistently upper 90s back in the day either. Um, again, it's a different game. But in 76, then, when he got uh, on the Yankees and faced Reggie Jackson again, um, so I think that event was in the back of his mind, and then Reggie Jackson did, apparently, shortly before Reggie's at bat, like, say something to Doc about a previous bat on somebody on the team. So then, basically, Reggie Jackson came to play, Doc Ellis threw at him and hit him right in the face. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's intense. Dude, this guy's a fiery little whippersnapper. Oh, yeah. Um, he's awesome. Yeah. Um, but He might be the least... He might be the least popular bucko of all time, but he might be my favorite. Well, at the time, he was. I feel like now, when people, especially, I mean, people, I, I'm going to ask my dad about him, um, but people that are just learning about him now, I'm sure, are big fans. Oh, yeah. I'm sure the younger, the, the millennial folks love him, I'm yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, but does and says whatever he wants. <laughs> um, to go, to, again, I want to mention this. Again, like, this is why I told you before we were going to bounce 
around luck because there's just so much that he did. Oh, we've already been. But so. Oh, yeah, and we're going to yeah. continue. So okay. when his comments, when he made those comments about the 71 All-Star game, about how he probably wasn't going to be the, the starting pitcher for certain reasons, and then he was. So Jackie Robinson was still alive at the time and wrote him a letter okay. and said, I've read your comments in our paper the last few days. I want to know how much I appreciate your courage and mm-hmm. honesty. And was like, and then some other stuff. Um, there will be times when you ask yourself if it's worth it. All I can say, Doc, is that it is. And then Jackie Robinson. And they, they had him. So they had Doc read this in one of the documentaries. And like he got emotional. At yeah. the end. Oh, my God. I, I mean, mean, he knew. Obviously, he's read it before. Yeah, but he's like big. reading it on camera and yeah, reading it out loud. Yeah. Um, is that's intense. Thing. That is like a like a really intense endorsement. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's freaking Jackie Robinson. Yeah. That's I mean, it's awesome. As intense as you can get at yeah. the time. Um, I want to go. I wanted to. I forgot about. I wanted to mention this. I want to go back to just the concept of how everybody drank and did drugs. Sure. Let's just go back two, to two, that. two little snippets from a couple of articles I read. Uh, the, so the parts manager, his name was, was Danny Murtaugh at the time. So he would literally tell the team bus driver. Like when they were driving, when they were on road games going from like uh, from the airport to the hotel, and then they would have to then go play baseball. He would literally tell the bus driver to purposely get lost, giving his players less time at the hotel bar <laughs> before the game. That's incredible. And then he would also give baseballs to the elevator operators Yeah. and tell them, ask them to get autographs from the players who came in after 3 a.m. Oh God, he gets brilliant, and he's like, the yeah. balls were n- were never blank. <laughs> <laughs> the balls were never blank. That's good. He get, I mean, he gets pretty pretty crafty with this stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like he cares that much. I mean, he he was, you know. I mean, I don't know how much he can really do about it. Right. It's the whole I mean, league. It's like the type team. of thing. Like you just got to limit it as much you can. Yeah. If you suspend every player who shows up not sober to a game, then you'd be trotting out no one. Indeed. Um, so again, I'm gonna. So I'll hit on some some more of his baseball stuff, then we can go uh, post baseball real quick. Trying to wrap it up for you. Um, another event. So again, to talk about his theory of trying to be intimidating on the mound. So we get to 1974, um, and they're they're facing the Reds, who at the time. So the Pirates and Reds are both pretty good uh, this time of year. Um, the Pirates had won. Uh, a championship in 71, um, and the Reds won it in 72, and Doc felt like that the Pirates had lost, uh, that the Pirates used to be the Intimidators. Sure. But now, and now we had 74, and now he feels like the Pirates are now intimidated by the Reds. Okay. Um, so at this point, because Roberto Clemente uh, had passed away at this point, so he's one of those nine minority starters in that 71 season. He passed away New Year's Eve of 72. Um, and that was a big loss for Ellis. That's a whole other story because he was almost like a father figure kind of. But so May 1st, 74, Reds of Pirates. And again, Doc feels like the Pirates are intimidated by the Reds. Okay. And the Reds are, that the Pirates are trying to be buddy-buddy with the Reds. And he's like, why are we doing this? We need to like smash them. So first guy comes up, P. Rose comes to the plate. It's Pete Rose? P. Rose, first guy up. Nice. Third pitch, Ellis hits him. Yeah. <laughs> Next Charlie guy Hustle. Up. Next guy up, Joe Morgan. Fourth pitch, drills him in the kidney. <laughs> Next guy up, Dan Driesen. Sixth pitch. This is of like of the game. So third pitch of the game to Ellis. Fourth pitch. So the next, the first oh, pitch to Morgan. Each of these. Pi- okay. So so, yeah, so yeah. third pitch overall rose. Fourth pitch overall. Basically the next pitch, Morgan kidney. Right. Second, two pitches after that, 
He hits Dreesen in the back. Bases loaded. Tony Perez then is up next. Dodges four pitches. Four pitch walk. One nothing Reds. <laughs> Bases still loaded. The Johnny Bench then comes up, and apparently, uh, two pitches high and tight, close to the head. Uh, Danny Murtaugh comes out, takes him out of the game. God, that is commitment to being an asshole right there. That's intense. Who won that game though? Um, I mean, it doesn't, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I mean, that is an unbelievably ballsy thing to do. I can't. They weren't charging mounds back then. I can't believe. No, they, they definitely were, but I think uh, I don't know if. Just like they're getting free runs, so Those, maybe they should like, yeah, just let's just keep, yeah. yeah. But yeah, very awesome piece there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, he's on the Pirates till '75 season I mentioned, where he was uh, kind of starting to get. They were trying to move the bullpen, and he was he was uh, hitting button heads with the manager. Um, the Pirates ended up trading him uh, that off season to the Yankees. So '76, he's on the Yankees. Uh, and he actually, because he was starting to struggle there with the Pirates towards the end okay. a little bit. He wasn't like old yet, um, but he was getting up there. And then he actually won AL Comeback Player of the Year for the Yankees that year in '76. That that makes me like like him less. He's just another guy who goes to the Yankees. He, went, he got traded though. For and a, then, yeah, he'll always be a pirate. He'll always be a bucko to me. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so the Yankees, uh, you'll like this part though. Um. The reason why he ended up leaving, he was only in the Yankees for one year because before the 77th season, he publicly criticized George Steinbrenner for giving him a raise that was inadequate given to his 76th performance and for interfering with the manager at the time, Billy Martin. Ellis refused to sign his contract. The Yankees did not want to have players who could become free agents, so they just traded him. I do respect that move. Okay. Where'd he go? Well, they traded him to Oakland. Uh, oh, he, he goes not, back home. Yeah, he was not – he's only there for a year – and then he complained about the manager at the time was Billy Hunter. He complained about his uh, liquor policy, which was you can't. Be which drunk was like before you can't. Pitch. His liquor policy. You ready for this? His liquor yeah. policy was you cannot drink at the hotel bar because that's where the manager drinks. <laughs> that's good. That's good. It's like telling your kids not to show up. So, at the and then there's a team. So then yeah. So then Hunter though banned <laughs> liquor on team flights because there was some rock, some like fight internally. And so then Doc vowed that he would bring liquor on the plane to Toronto anyways. Okay. <laughs> and he let a pl- – <laughs> so basically him and Hunter just butt massive buttheads, and they just traded him. They traded him after one year. Then he was on Texas for a little bit. Then he was on the Mets for a year. Um, he was quite the journeyman. Yeah. And then he came back he, to the Pirates to, to retire. Basically, he was on the Pirates for like half a season. Oh. On 79. That's adorable. Yeah. I can't believe they did that with such a controversial player. That's usually like a D Wade well, move or something like that. Yeah, well, because I mean, like I said, I think secretly, I mean, like the parts were good in the seventies, uh, and then he, like I said, he was talented, and I think I mean the Pirates players loved him. Like, well, yeah, he's hysterical. Al Oliver was on the team, and they, they were like best buds. I mentioned like he, him, and the other things too. Like, he was, we're not. He was a super. Doc Ellis was a super nice guy, and the, the, when you're when you ask him, like he was. Super tight and very close with like everyone's families. Like really, Sargil's wife, Sargil died before Doc did, um, and like she, when Willie was you know nearing the end, he would, and he because he was out in L.A. at the time then Doc was, and Sargil was out in the East Coast, close I think P.A. Um, and like Doc made multiple like cross country flights to come see him before he passed. So he was like almost like a brother to, at the end, and like she like loved Doc. Like everybody loved Doc. Loved him. 
Well, that makes me love him even more because they're loving him for the right reasons, mm-hmm. not because he was weird and eccentric, because he was a nice, genuinely good he was. dude. So that will transition us into his post career real quick. Um, I'll make this fast. No, you're good. <laughs> Keep going. It's um, fine. It's flowing but, well. So 76, and after that season is when he retired, and he's still drinking and doing drugs, kind of. Finally, September of 1980 is when he realized probably is an issue. Um, I, w- I want to mention this real quick because he basically then went to uh, counts. He went to you know counseling in a, er, a rehab center, and he was there for. He was actually there longer than for the insurance paid for because he was afraid to leave. Mm. Because he because he so basically when he realized he had a problem, he finally he called his sister. He's like, hey, when I land, I forget. I, I don't know if he was, if he did it in L.A. or where he did it. He's like, when I land and pick me up, bring bring a basically a fifth of vodka because it's going to be the last sip alcohol I take. Um, mm. And he drank it. That's literally, as to her, to her knowledge, it's the last time he had read alcohol. So he ended up actually getting his like substance abuse problems under correct. Control. So because it was funny um, during treatment, a psych- psychologist there asked him to write down all the drugs he ever used. So just some quick ones: amphetamines, couldn't pitch without him, alcohol because he loved the taste. He actually had alcohol like the first time when he was like thirteen, I believe. Um, cocaine, marijuana, heroin, LSD, a few more. List goes on, and then the psychologist looked over the list, handed it back to Doc, and they were still, they told him, "I have to classify you as suicidal." He's like, "Fuck you! I'm not suicidal." He's like, "You're a damn fool!" And they're like, "Anyone's trying to he does this much trying to kill themselves?" He's like, "No, not true." This is just the '70s, bro. Yeah. So cleaning himself up, then literally, for the almost the majority of the rest of his life, he his main goal he would literally go to. Um, counseling centers, prisons, and he would talk to to younger people that have that had similar issues. This guy's incredible. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. He even like steps out on a good note. Yeah, that's fantastic. Like massively good. Like he, there's yeah. there's part there's a part of in this article. It's an outside the lines article. Um, so it's really long. But it's awesome. Um, because he does have. I mean, he had he got married four times. Yeah, the first couple, right. the first couple wives, though he when he was. When he was playing baseball, and he, they both ended because when it was during an alcoholic or a a drug issue, or when he was high, and he basically was super violent with them. Yeah, that's not great. Um, it's yeah. not one of my more favorite parts about. Correct, but like it, yeah. So then he's he had a few kids. Both his, two of his, I think he has three kids total. Two two of them are daughters, but they're actually both passed away already, which is devastating. Uh, and then he has a son who actually played D one basketball at Cal State Bakersfield, and so he and he so he get and he who had a child so he actually had a grandkid before he like passed away, which is cool. Yeah. Um, but his his kid Trey is Doc Ellis the third actually, but his name's he goes by Trey. Like he would go on him go with him to some of these trips when he was younger, to when he would go to like prisons or whatever centers and stuff, and talk to these people about their issues, and they would they would call him like dad stuff. Uh, and whatnot, and he's like, nice. "You're not my sibling." Who? Why? He, he was confused initially when he was younger, but then he understood and how awesome it was what his dad was doing. Because I mean, and that's why, and it's because he went through all this stuff. So it's like he would get, and he would do the same thing he did with with baseball managers or baseball players. He'd get in their face. He'd be like, "What? Like about their issues?" And he'd also do like he would like. There's they interview a couple of them in the documentary about he would come. He'd call them into like if he had an office or a room and just talk to them themselves, and he would like dump out like an awesome meal on the, on like the table and like eat, like I want to have lunch. We're going to talk. 
and the, the, which he wasn't allowed to do. And like it was way better than the crap food they had in that place. Right. Or he would like let them use his cell phone and like make calls, which again was not what he was supposed to be doing. But he let them do it against right. the trust factor. And he also always gave out his personal cell phone number to them. He's like, hey, next when you get out of here, first time you want to take that hit or pound that bottle, like before you take that first one, like call me. It's awesome. And like <laughs> then they, he would he would stop a lot apparently when I'm hitting it back. So respect. No, it was unbelievable. So he ended up. I mean, that's sure you, you could honestly talk about his post baseball career a lot um, in that respect. Um, but he passed away in two thousand eight. So he's not that old. He's like sixty three, I think. Uh, I mean, he lived. Well, pretty hard I mean, he died from cirrhosis. So uh, yeah, which is not surprising, but not a good way to go, obviously. Yeah. Um, but hell, crazy story. Hell of a hell of a guy. Like I urge everyone listening, like go watch. Like I said, there that documentary, a no no. It's on, it's on Amazon Prime, and then search for him on YouTube, and you'll find probably that short, like uh, animated video. That's mainly that's only about the no hitter, but that's cool. It's a cool you know video to watch too. The documentary only it's an hour forty. I think it talks about the no hitter for maybe ten minutes. Like an interview his friends, two of his wives. Um, uh, his sister, uh, a lot of his teammates, um, both black and white. Uh, so it's it's really good. It's good in in. Shit, in I'm gonna check and it he's out. on. The, he's in it too when he was alive. Um, so it's it's awesome. Yeah, great great story. I urge everybody to read about him. All right. So that's Doc Ellis. The, thank you for showing up and talk to us about yeah. Doc Ellis. It's a great story. It, it was also nice to be on the other side. It's a little more relaxing being on the. Side of things. Yeah, I like I think sitting you've back and just ten percent of the time. No, probably yeah. more than that. But yeah, but you know, it is nice, and it's like you know, I gotta sit here and learn a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, I was stressed to be on this side. Yeah, it's a little more stress. It's just like a good stress, though. It's like a fun stress. Like you know, you gotta like be ready to perform and stuff. Well, yeah, and it's not like I'm talking about you know, even though it is like dealing with factual information. But it's not like I'm talking about uh, the Ohio State guys playing Cincinnati Bearcats. <laughs> yeah, so I'm talking about somebody's true. life, so I want to get things straight. Yeah, you got to be sure you're accurate. Um, the last thing I want to do, Mike Jet, is that on your podcast, the Ag Hard Podcast, you end every show by doing a little bit where someone makes a sports statement, and then you say ag or disag with a brief explanation. Correct. I've thought of an ag disag to, to take us out of here. That I feel like is very apt for our situation. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. You ready for this? Yeah. Antonio Brown and the New England Patriots collaborated to get him kicked off of the Raiders and signed on to the Patriots. You have 30 seconds. Go. Uh, ag, disag, why? I ag hard. Um, if you want a deep... Because I egg hard, I think it's hundred percent factual. Uh, I I was about to give my cell phone number out over a pod because I would say call me and I'll tell you why because I'm heated about this. Give topic. me your Twitter. Uh, at it's at you can tweet at egg hard podcast or jetfest g e t t f e s t. Um, because I hundred percent believe that's true. Uh, all the way from. You could say the first event was when he, you know, froze, burned his feet in the cryo chamber. Um, it might even, it probably even started before that. I think everything was. Uh, a plan to try and he was trying to get cut by the Raiders uh, all along. He was never going to play it down for the Raiders ever. Because, I mean, the Patriots, it, news came out that they were, they tried to trade for him from the Steelers initially anyways, which Steelers are never going to do. Um, 
So I think once they did trade Oakland, I think whether it was through Drew Rosenhaus, uh, I think a plan was hatched to okay. get him off the Raiders to get cut. All right. 100%. 100%. Good deal. too much of a pussy to do anything about it. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I actually act with that as well. All right, let's get out of here. We're getting up to our uh, close to our time limit here for um, the I Merit of History. We're still under 50 podcast. minutes, which is good, I think. We are. It's pretty good. It's pretty solid. Um, but that went well. Um, thanks for being only our second guest we've ever had on our show. Uh, Am I the in person too? Who was that? Was it you first Kevin in Lane? person? Kevin, yes, yeah. phone, Kevin right? did the Game of Thrones episode. Yeah, did a great job over Skype. I think we used or whatever. Uh, so yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming yes. to Baltimore. Yes. Um, we aren't either Ag Hard Podcast, and we aren't I Married a History Teacher. We're just you know a couple of boys drinking box red wines, talking sports on a Friday afternoon. You know? Also known as dudes being dudes. Yeah, just dudes being dudes. Just the boys bopping. Uh, my name is Steve, and I was a history teacher. And my name is Michael Jett, and uh, Egg Hard. Egg Hard.